Good morning, church. Happy Labor Day weekend. I just wanted to say thank you for so many of you who were able to take the time last Sunday to be with us at the picnic shelter and talk through this potential next chapter for us as a church. Many of you were able to make a walkthrough at the Altitude Church building. And uh, some of you just, you know, gave me feedback, gave us feedback. Last weekend, we had a chance to talk through the next steps. And we voted as a church to continue in this journey and to ask even bigger questions. And so a number of the things that we've talked about um, are really important for you to hear again. We, we did not vote to buy a building. We voted to uh, spend a little bit of money to figure out the, the next steps. If this truly is a place that will serve us well, is this truly a place that um, won't hamper us uh, on our mission, but actually help us to be more generous and more a part of the community around us in Arvada by, in a sense, having permanence, having 24-7 permanence. And so we want to make the right call financially. We want to make the right call missionally. And so thank you for your input. Um, it was a great opportunity for us to, to just talk about the realistic, what this looks like, the day-to-day, -day, um, offer up some some words of caution, and yet also some words of of affirmation and uh, trusting where God is leading us. So thank you for that. We will keep you posted all along the way of what is happening. Um, and, and and just so you know, there there's going to be an opportunity for you uh, with this to, to be a part of it financially. And it, it's going to take a, a sacrifice on, in a sense, all of our parts. Um, not the same amounts, but it's going to take the same amount of sacrifice. And I want you to just be prepared for that, to be journeying with God and asking kind of what that looks like. Um, obviously, we ask you... Uh, very seldomly for money, um, but yet we know that money is a big part of our journey in following Jesus. And so some of you are very faithfully giving to our church. Some of you give in other ways in our community, which is tremendous. The important part is that we're generous with our money. And so as you begin to think about what that looks like, maybe you're new to our church, maybe you are... Um, unsure of like next steps on what to give and what to give to, uh, take a look at our website, go to our giving page. We, we have an opportunity for you to give in a very simple, tangible way to our church. And um, there are many ways for you to give to places in our city. And so we want you to open up your heart and your life um, to where God is leading you with your finances as well. I do want to also say that for some of you, we, we introduced, maybe it was new to you, this idea of membership. And over the last year and a half during COVID, we haven't pushed membership. Uh, we've actually just pushed being connected to our community through house churches and in other subtle ways. And so we are opening up a new um, moment of membership. And membership really is a way for you and your family to uh, link arms with other people in our community and to stack hands, so to speak, around a common mission as a church. And this is a way for us to believe the best about each other, to understand our history, to understand each other's stories, 
and to move ahead together in a more of a committed relationship than just, I'm an attender. So if that's something you're interested in, we're gonna be doing that on September 26th, right after our large church gathering uh, here at Fellowship on the grounds. I'm not sure where it's gonna be, but we are gonna provide lunch like we do, and we are gonna gather, and I'll, we'll just be able to walk you through what this looks like um, in, a, in a more systematic way. And uh, I'm excited for that. So you can sign up. Um, you can sign up um, on our website. You can um, just let us know. You can send an email to admin at restorationcolorado.org and, and sign up that way. But we want to make it available to you to jump in. In the meantime, throughout this craziness that we call Fall 21, uh, we want you to continue to lean in on your house church. Um, the house church uh, rhythm we're doing is every other week, house church, large gathering, house church, large gathering. And this is going to take us all the way through 21. And it's really important that you're a part of a house church. If you're not, we want to get you connected to one. They, they happen all throughout the day on Sundays. Um, there's an evening one. There's a, there's a lunch one. There's morning ones. We would just love for you to be a part of one. And this is the way to jump in, um, to really kind of sink your teeth in and get to know people in our church and then get to know you. The first step's always courageous, but I promise you, we've talked to so many people that that step meant everything. And so jump into house churches. Let me pray and we'll get started. Father, this morning we come together in smaller groups to hear from you, to wrestle, to be honest about our aches and our hurts, to learn who you are and how that affects who we are. So God, be with us, transform us, encourage us, challenge us, convict us. And may your spirit be moving through these words and despite these words. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Psalm chapter 120 last week was not a coffee cup verse. It was not a list of verses that you wanted to memorize and they weren't pick-me-ups. But they're really important words because they talk about that first step of the journey of our road to God. And it's the journey of repentance. It's the journey of looking around and there's this dislocation. There's this hunger for something better. There's this hunger for God and there's this dislocation and there's this idea of like, this is not my home. I don't want to live in this way anymore. I don't want to live amongst liars and deceivers. I don't want to live. I don't want that to affect my life. I want to live for something better. And then we jump to chapter 121, Psalm 121, the second Psalm of Ascents. And this one is kind of a coffee, coffee cup verse. This is, this is something you've probably read before and um, really received a lot of encouragement from in your life. We're going to read it right now. It says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. 
The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. So last week we talked about this idea that a no, um, saying no to uh, living in Meshach and, and with the people of Kedar, saying no to that is saying yes to something better. Saying no to that is the first step to a journey towards who God is and what God has planned for us. But, but be very careful in thinking this, that, that our next step, just because we choose to follow God, that we choose to pursue a relationship with Jesus and be part of the kingdom does not mean that life is puppies and rainbows. As I say often, doesn't mean that there's no more arguments with your spouse. It doesn't mean there's no more uh, difficulties in parenting children. It doesn't mean that there's no tragedy that will not find you. It doesn't mean that life is smooth sailing. It doesn't mean that all your plans will fall into place. It doesn't mean any of those things. And I think that's really important for us to get our heads and our, our hearts around. Because the problem is, is you could read Psalm 121 and think, man, nothing bad is ever going to happen because I'm in a relationship with Jesus or I'm, I'm following after God or I'm, 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 I'm safe in God's arms. And that's not what the psalmist is saying, although it's really tricky when we read it. The problem is, is that if anything does happen and you believe that, if anything does happen, um, like a huge breakup or, or a divorce or a long season of loneliness or a diagnosis, a birth defect or a, a miscarriage, if anything does bad, anything bad does happen to us and we believe that because we follow God, because we are uh, a child of God because we follow after Jesus and he's forgiven us and rescued us and saved us. And then these bad things happen. Then it must mean that there's something either wrong with us, our relationship with God, or God isn't who God says he is. Because look at, it says the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Now, one of the the subtle ways I think we get tripped up. And many of us have gotten tripped up on, and this is going to sound super nerdy, but something called moralistic therapeutic deism. And it's this version of, of God and Christianity that says um, God wants you to be moral. He wants you to do good things and not bad things. Um, and that God is there for you. God is there to make you feel better. That God is there to make you feel um, that not to keep you from sadness and difficulty. And, and deism is the belief that God is not really close by. That God is actually um, kind of distant, kind of disconnected. Um, you've maybe heard the philosophical term, the, the great uh, watchmaker, that God, in a sense, created the world, created the system, and, it, and got the world spinning and everything working, and then took a step back. And that God is not really involved um, imminently in our lives, uh, but that God is more of a distant, transcendent God, and he is, 
He doesn't really care what's happening in our lives. But if we don't do bad things and that we do good things, moralism, um, that God will intervene, that God will step in, that God will care for us, protect us, right, and bless us, okay? It's where some of the prosperity gospel comes in. It's where, it's where we get off track in a lot of different ways. So if you believe that God has retracted his love for you because of the, the uh, circumstances in your life or the difficulties and the tragedies that you faced in your life, or that God merely puts up with you, he's really not that happy with you, but he just puts up with you because that's grace. Um, or it's even maybe God has gone on to care for someone else that's more deserving of you. And that's a version of this moralistic therapeutic deism, this idea that there's a transactional worship of God involved. That by my behavior, I earn God's favor or God's protection. So if you believe that, and you, you may not think you actually believe it. You might not actually articulate it that way. But you've wrestled with this in your spirit. You've wrestled with this in your mind. If you believe that, I have really good news for you. You're wrong. You're, you're actually wrong. And that's really good news. It's really good news sometimes when we're wrong. And so let's get into this together. Because we're in this series called Pilgrims Not Tourists. And the impetus for this series is, the, is this idea that following after God is actually a pilgrimage. It's not uh, what you would experience if you were a tourist in a foreign country where you would pick up all the good stuff and not experience the bad stuff. And you would arrange your life in such a way as to not experience anything hard, but only the good things. A pilgrimage is different. Pilgrimage is anchored Okay? It's anchored in the destination, and we believe that the Psalms of Ascent are actually part of what it looks like to be on a pilgrimage. That a pilgrimage journey is not easy, that it goes through difficult places. There's joy, there's celebration, but there's also perseverance. There's also uh, crying out for help. There's situations of lostness and desperate uh, times. And, and, and that's part of what it looks like to follow Jesus. That is partly what it looks like to be a foreigner and an alien and an exile living in a place, this world that's not our home. And yet we travel through it. And the psalmist here gives us three travel advisories along this pilgrimage. The first one is sprained ankles. Or as it says, uh, don't, you will not let your foot slip there's a potential to have foot slippage, right? To fall down, to trip, to sprain an ankle. Then there's the hot sun, the heat, the, the, the beating down of the hot sun on us. And then there's the fatigue and the anxiety. And this, is, this comes from this little part of, of talking about, or the moon at night. This idea in ancient times was that uh, to be moonstruck, okay, would be filled with anxiety and doubt and fear. Um, the word moon, a lunar, that we get, you know, we get the word lunar um, and, and lunacy, this idea that moonstruck is um, to be in a place of, of constant fear, anxiety, 
and in almost a crazed state. And so let me ask you this. Are we to conclude that followers of Jesus never sprain their ankles, okay? Never trip up, uh, never get heat stroke, never get exhausted, or, or, or never have emotional problems? Are we to conclude that? Well, that's what it sounds like, right? That Psalm 121 says that he will keep you from all that stuff. And so maybe you make the conclusion that, well, I know people that follow Jesus. I follow Jesus, but yet I feel like I trip up all the time and I get fatigued and I struggle with anxiety. And so, so maybe in doubt and, and so maybe um, I'm not really a follower of Christian or a follower of Jesus, or maybe I'm not really a Christian or a pilgrim along this journey. Maybe, maybe I'm mistaken and I haven't really uh, become a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you make the conclusion that the psalm is actually wrong, right? That, uh, that God doesn't really actually do what the psalmist claims that God does. Now, remember the old saying, false conclusions come from false assumptions. And so it's really important to understand who God is and, and the truth about who God is. As A.W. Tozer said, he said, uh, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because our actions come from what we think about when we think about God. So if you don't think that God exists, well, then you don't really have a, an authority in your life. And you can do what you want. Your actions bear that out. But if you believe that, that God uh, helps and, and that God comforts and that God is with you and that God uh, protects you and guards you, well, that changes things. So there's more going on here, and I want to go deeper. And I think this is really important for us to, to take a look at. What is the psalmist saying? The beginning line, the psalmist is asking the question, where does my help come from? But the psalmist says they look to the hills. And then they ask that question. I look to the hills. I look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? So what are the hills? What are the mountains? Like for us, living here in Colorado with a view of the mountains every day, except for during fire season, we see the mountains and they're beautiful. And we see them and we go, man, I, I, could, I could zip up there, I could get some rest, I could get some relief, I could get away from the, the hustle and bustle of down here. Um, we see beauty. And so when we think of the hills, we think of beauty. But if you were an ancient Hebrew and you looked to the hills, what did that mean? Well, looking to the hills was a way of looking for relief because of what the hills offered. What did the hills offer? Well, the hills were all the high places of, uh, in Israel and, and, and the surrounding uh, nations. The high places were the places you would go to, you would make, in a sense, a pilgrimage to, to get relief. And you would get relief at the altar of Baal or the uh, Asherah poles or the sun priestess or the moon priestess. And if you had an, a sickness or you were infertile or you wanted your crops to grow, you wanted rain to come, you wanted uh, a business deal, whatever. If you were taking a long journey, you would take yourself to the hills. 
for help. You would take yourself to these places and you would perform rituals and there would be um, potentially some, uh, some sort of a, a shrine prostitute situation or some sort of a, an altar or some sort of a, a dance you would have to perform to get the help that you needed. So the psalmist is saying, I look to the hills, where does my help come from? And then the psalmist says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heavens and earth, maker of the sun, maker of the moon, the maker of the mountains by which these shrines are set up on. The psalmist is saying, I look past the hills. I look past these things that are close by, that are easy fixes, that are escapes, that are uh, trinkets. And I look past all that to the creator. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. This idea of um, the ancients believing that the, 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 actually the God Baal, he, was, he would sleep and slumber. He would be bored and fall asleep. And so the people would have to do these wild, um, extravagant things to wake up Baal. There would be you know, dancing and orgies and all this stuff to wake up the God to help them. And the psalmist is saying, you never sleep. You don't fall asleep. You don't take naps. The creator is always awake. So the psalmist is looking past the hills, looking past quick fixes, looking past the ways that you and I even try to escape, okay? The excesses, the band-aids, the ways that you and I try to quote-unquote survive, the, the psalmist is encouraging to look past the hills. But what about the bad things that happen to us? What about that part? So when illness comes and anxiety creeps in and when conflict breaks down relationships in our lives, the wrong conclusion is that God is not is that God has somehow gotten bored with us and he's shifted his attention to a more deserving person. That God is not asleep is what the psalmist is saying. That God is not bored, okay? And, and God hasn't become disgusted with you or, or uh, disgusted with you with your meandering obedience, right? That God has not decided to uh, let you fend for yourself for a while. The mistake is supposing that God's care for us and love for us and protection of us waxes and wanes depending on our spiritual temperature, okay? And on a side note, I just want to say that one of, the, one of the things that makes me a little nervous right now in the church, especially the American church, is, the, is, is, is a strain, okay, hear me out, of the modern worship movement. In the modern worship movement, there is a strain within it that has a transactional nature to it, meaning 
the louder we sing, the longer we sing, the more often we repeat phrases, um, the, the more animated our worship, okay? It, this means that the Holy Spirit's bound to show up more. That, that the transaction is the more we worship in intensity and emotion, that the more the Spirit shows up. And it's not everywhere. Uh, but the problem is, is that can lead this, uh, they can lead people into kind of a, a split or, a, or a, 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 in a sense, a forked religious experience. The one, on the one hand, that kind of Sunday morning experience, emotional, high intensity, Holy Spirit obviously is more involved in that, right? Um, and then what's the rest of the week look like? Well, it's, it's in a sense, you're just making do. That God is somehow some, some, some kind of a God that needs to be conjured up, like the hills. But we look past the hills to the creator God. The creator God who doesn't sleep, doesn't slumber, who's with us in moments of community and worship, yes. But also just as much guarding us and with us on our drive to work. Or standing in the checkout line. Or paying attention to our children. Eugene Peterson says this. And it's kind of a long quote. Bear with me. He says, the pilgrim life is going to God. In going to God, disciples travel the same ground that everyone else walks on. Breathe the same air, drink the same water, shop in the same stores, read the same newspaper, are citizens under the same government, pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline, fear the same dangers, are subject to the same pressures, get the same distresses, and are buried in the same ground. The difference is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know we are preserved by God and we know that we are ruled by God. And therefore, no matter what doubts we endure and what accidents we experience, the Lord will guard us from every evil. He guards our every, our very life. Now, the promise in the psalm and both Hebrews and Christians have throughout the ages have, have read it this way is not that we will never stub our toes on this journey will never like run into difficult things um, but that no injury no illness no accident will separate us from God's purposes in us the the goal here isn't to to think that oh okay I'm good and God's going to protect me from everything and then something bad happens to us and we're like okay what's wrong with me what's wrong with God now the point is that those things are going to happen to us but they won't they won't cut the tether. They won't infect us to our core. Jesus even teaches his disciples how to pray. Okay? And so if, if you believe in God as a, the kind of a God that, um, that we have to placate, 
right? Or, or appease to make everything go well in our life. This, this should help you. Uh, Jesus says, uh, he prays, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This idea in Psalm 21, 121 is this guardian image of God. Eight different times it, it expresses this guardian imagery of God guarding his people. And, and he doesn't sleep. He stays on guard. And so what happens to the evil that happens to us? That's all around us. What happens? What do you tell a Christian in Afghanistan right now? Do you read them Psalm 121 and say, you're good. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. Well, they would probably disagree. Bad things are happening to them. But the evil that happens to us and the harm that happens in our life, the difference is, is God is guarding us at, at, at a core deep level. Meaning, it's kind of like this. Um, the, the show Deadliest Catch. I love the show. I, some of you are like, you're weird. Uh, Angela makes fun of me. She calls it my man drama show. Um, yeah, they, they catch crab, whatever. But one of the things the thing uh, that they say on the ship, um, uh, on these boats, these they're big boats, but they're... I mean, the huge storms they're in, it, it, they say this all the time. All the water in all the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside. And that's the idea behind Psalm 121. All the, all the harm in this life, all the tragedy, all the hurt, all the pain does not sink us unless it gets inside. And what God has said is, I am protecting you. I'm guarding you. I'm guarding your heart. And when we come to follow Jesus, what happens to us is the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives within us. And it's almost like, um, it's almost like it fills those places that, that the evil can't get into. It's like this way of, of protection. And the promise lies here. It's the getting inside part that, that is so important because Ephesians 1 talks about the guarantee of the Spirit, uh, the guarantee of our inheritance, the seal of the Spirit. Romans 8 talks about uh, nothing can separate us from God's love. And there's this beautiful imagery around that. This idea is that you and I are tethered to a certain outcome. That we are anchored at the end of this whole thing, this human history deal that God is going to recreate heaven and earth, that we are tethered to that anchor point down the road in history. And when Jesus says, I am the way, he says, I am the road, right? I'm the hodas, I'm the road. And that Jesus's way is the way actually of suffering, of difficulty. And we, as followers of Jesus along the way, we're tethered to a hope a fixed point down the road in human history that God is promising us that we are tethered to this and we are pulled along the way to it. We are anchored in our creator and in his final purposes. And the promise of God is not that nothing bad will happen to you. The promise of God is that evil cannot cut the tether that your life is anchored to. And that is Psalm 121. And so church, let me just say this. Many of you might find yourself in the point where you are, if you're really honest, 
You're looking to the hills. You're looking to quick fixes. You're worshiping other little things uh, to make you feel better. For your help. Some of you are trying to earn God's attention in some moralistic way. If I don't do this and I do do this, then God will show up and make me feel better. But ultimately, he's kind of detached from my life. The psalmist is talking about how real and present God's joy and hope and love is in you. And for some of you, you're having a hard time trusting in that anchor point. The stuff that's happened to you in your life, it's just worn you down. And you're having a difficult time trusting in the fact that you, you're connected. That you're your life and your soul is, is anchored in the creator God who rescued you, who forgave you, who drew you in. Some of you today, to be honest with you, are catching this and you, you feel like you're floundering. You don't feel like you're anchored to anything. You're just checking out this whole following Jesus thing and and. You've stumbled into an ancient song, at least 2,500 years old, that talks about a God who is anchored past the hills, past all the other ways we choose to worship as human beings. And that God wants to anchor in you, because of Jesus, wants to anchor in you and clip that, that anchor point onto your soul and let you experience what it looks like to be moving towards hope. To be moving towards an eternity of actual flourishing life through all the crud of this world. And we call that salvation. We call that uh, forgiveness. We call that entering the kingdom of God, we call that all these different things. We call that good news. So this morning, if you need good news, if you want to experience good news, maybe this morning you want to turn away from the, the hills. If you want to believe, you want to trust again in a God who's not uh, aloof and not uh, capricious and not waiting for you to do something good but a God who's already stepped towards you. I want you guys to pray with me as we wrap this up. Father, we take these psalms seriously. God, for some of us, it's a great encouragement to know that you don't want the hard things that happen to us and around us in this life to, to sink us, that you are guarding us, that you are preserving us, that as much as we feel like we're choking on water, we are sinking, that God, you actually have us, that we are anchored, 
that you are pulling us through all the crud of this world and of circumstance and of disease and of diagnosis and relationships and grief and loss. And you continue to pull us towards you. That we are on this pilgrim journey. And God, for some of us, we, we, we need to be honest. We've, we've turned to the hills. We've turned to money. We've turned to, to uh, health, bodily health. As some sort of a religious fix. We've turned to our careers. God, we've thrown all in with our children. And we think our hope actually comes from how they turn out or their success. God, we've put our hope in politicians, political ideologies that, God, we have to be honest, have failed all of us. God, we put our hope in gimmicks and tricks and escapes. Oh, God. You're our anchor. You are our hope. We look past the hills to you. Show us how to do that in community. This morning, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Love you, church.